Welcome to episode 138 of Design Details. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we caught up with Champori Rith. He's a designer here in San Francisco working on a company he co-founded, Mixmax. Before that, he was at Google and before that, agencies doing amazing design work. And products. And products. We'll get into that. But first... Our t-shirt's almost sold out. Wait, yeah. that's not how that works. It's not sold out. It's not a quantity thing. The sale's almost over. Yeah, there's three days left to buy a Design Details t-shirt. So if you want one, if you've enjoyed listening, if you're new to the show and you want to rock one, you can go to our Twitter. Uh, The top tweet is a link to it. We'll have a link in the show notes. Between the two sales, we've sold over 100 of these things. Which is great. Uh, They're as cheap as we can possibly make them. We make no profit on them whatsoever. Yeah, we're making no profit. Uh, We have all men's and women's sizes in black, blue, and gray. They are super comfy t-shirts. They look super awesome. Uh, Ryan Morrison did the logo for us, and it looks great on these things. Mm. Very excited. Get one. The dark blue is like Brian's shirt color that he wears every single day. I'm amazed he's wearing a black t-shirt right now. That's like as far as he varies. Yeah. You can uh, see that so you knew you yeah, have context. Yeah. To learn more about those, uh, again, the link is on our Twitter, Design Details FM, or link in the show notes to the t-shirt. We hope you grab one. And if you do, send us a photo. Anyways, let's get into the episode. Before we do, we want to thank our sponsor for making this episode possible. And that's Dropbox. Dropbox is trying to make it easier for people to work together. And they need talented designers to make that happen. They're hiring. So the cool thing about Dropbox is uh, they started in 2007. There was tons of file sharing, file syncing products, uh, but they ended up winning because of design. Uh, Beautiful interface, simple product. It gets out of the way. It makes sense, easy to use. And uh, over the years, they've built a pretty incredible team and they're adding more people. They want you to join. They're looking for product designers and design managers from all around the world so outside of the U.S., too, to join their team. Every time we've talked to them, every time we've hung out, they've talked about how just how collaborative their design process is with people working kind of interdisciplinary teams. Uh, and that's researchers, writers, product designers, illustrators. The first time we met a few designers uh, from Dropbox was all at once, and it was like a super cross-collaborative team. It was really interesting. Yeah, and it's pretty cool. We got to go to their new office here in Soma uh, a few weeks ago and getting to see their product areas and the way they sit together. uh, Incredibly collaborative. The designers are working alongside the researchers and engineers and managers. Very close environment. And their new office office is amazing. Oh my God. Real pretty. So they've got a brand new office just down the street from us here, like from our studio. It has a gym, it has a coffee shop that roasts its own beans, three meals a day, and their kitchen is insane. It's called the Tuck Shop, and it is, oh my God, it is like next level. The perks are great, but that's not the reason that you go to work there. You go to work there. Well, there's also the rooftop deck, so that's the reason. That's what I was getting to. The rooftop deck is the best perk. No, but seriously. You can see our apartment from there. Dropbox is working on incredibly challenging problems with incredibly smart people and that's a place you want to be they want you designers design managers the best in the industry to come ship products with them uh, products that are going to help people work together help them save time help them do better work so if that sounds interesting to you and you want to be able to see Bryn's apartment from their rooftop deck <laughs> go to spec.fm slash dropbox spec is our podcast network so spec.fm slash dropbox that'll take you to the dropbox job description uh, you can learn more and apply. Of course, tell them we sent you and go build great things. Thanks once again to Dropbox. And with that, let's get into episode 138 with Chenpori Rith. Okay, well, I'm Chenpori. I am co-founder of Mixmax and I grew up in Oakland. Worked at a bunch of different companies from you know big companies like Google to small consulting agencies like Doubly Design Office mm-hmm. and big branding agencies. So yeah, I feel like I've had a lot of experience in a, in a bunch of different environments. Nice. Cool. What's Mixmax? So Mixmax, I'm sure we have an official positioning statement somewhere, uh, which you know I've had a beer so I won't, <laughs> I won't try to repeat it. Give uh, us the real, the, the real, real thing. The real thing is that uh, we want our customers to read their recipient's mind. Um, email. An email, correct. And uh, so currently when you send an email to somebody, you don't really have an understanding of, you know, how they think about that email. If they've gotten mm-hmm. it, what's their intent, what's, what's their interest. Um, so that's one half of what we do. Uh, The other half is helping our customers send personalized, actionable email. So doing things like sending mass emails, but having each one of them customized Mm -hmm. and also including 
fun little widgets for them to take action on. Okay, so it's software for email. It plugs into Gmail? Correct, yeah. Okay, so you're building yeah. on top of, of Gmail. We're building on top of, of Gmail as our starting point. Why Mixmax? Why did you want to make this? I've always really been interested in productivity. I had a productivity blog for a while uh, called Life Clever, way, way back in the day when, when blogging was a little bit more popular and uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, financially rewarding. Um, yes. And uh, I was just super interested in helping people become more productive and effective in their work. Uh, that's what led me to join Gmail okay. uh, because it just really aligned with what I was interested in, interested in. And then I got really interested in authoring as well. So uh, helping folks uh, who don't necessarily have great design skills to make beautiful documents. Okay. And that's what led me to a company called Inkling. And Mixmax is kind of a combination of the two. It's productivity and authoring. So it's it's just the company of my dreams. And that's super exciting. To cool. Me. How long have you been working on it? Uh, it's two years now. Two nice. years this month. Officially. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. So we incorporated two years ago. How big is the team? Let's see. I feel like that's always such a standard question, right? That must get... It's not a great question. What? <laughs> How big's the team? It's always like, what's the company? How big's the team? Did you raise money? <laughs> um, let's see. We are, um, I believe we're 12 people now. We've, we've added several people recently. I'm, I'm starting to lose count. So did you raise money? <laughs> <laughs> we did raise money. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. Uh, 12 people, you raised money, been running the business for two years. Yep. What's... What's on the roadmap? Uh, what's can you tell us the entire thing? Like what, where you're going? Yeah, tell me. Taking a little over bit. the world. Tell me. I, I, world. I'm trying to get a, a sense of like what the day to day is. Uh, my day to day, or just like in general. Uh, let's start, all of the above. Let's all start above. company okay. and work towards you. I want to. Um, well, company wise, we've been focusing a lot on scaling because we've just had tons and tons of users who are loving us, and it's been awesome because we haven't done a lot of marketing, so uh, most of it's been organic. People like to say that scaling is a great problem to have. Mm -hmm. It's also a really, really painful problem to have. Uh, so we've been working a lot on that. Um, and we've got a really good handle on it now. So we're, we are shifting focus back to just building more and more features uh, that, have, you know, that customers have been wanting and that we've been wanting to build. Cool. And so now what's your day-to-day? -day? What's the, um, the big hurdles? It's uh, a lot of design work. Uh, I'm the only designer. Um, I'm also front-end dev as well. So nice. I'm doing both. Um, and there's also, you know, just management duties with, you know, helping to develop our employees and in their pro professional and personal growth. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a lot of hats. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about that. So, so founder, CEO, running the business, but also designer, developer. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, you do I'm not CEO, but... Oh, um, okay. There's three of us. So right. there's CEO, uh, CTO, and, and designer. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So co-founder, designer, engineer. Um, I'm not sure if I'm doing a good job of balancing it yet. I think as a co-founder, life is inherently imbalanced. Yeah. Uh, I think that's something that is exciting and hard, and I try to embrace it as as best I can. 12 people still relatively small, but I wonder... When's the right time to hire the second designer? Um, let's see. We're still trying to hire more engineers. Um, Typical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's where the biggest need is. So I think once we hire another couple of engineers, then we'll be ready to hire more designers. Right now, we're actually doing pretty okay uh, in terms of design resources. Like I haven't caused any major blockers. I don't think anyway. Not maybe the engineers will disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What What is the design? So you're building tools on top of email. What like, Correct. What are some of the design challenges that you're dealing with? Well, one big challenge we had was the nature of HTML email market, which <laughs> yes, Rain is familiar with. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, in the very beginning, um, uh, you know, HTML email was not something that I had uh, a lot of experience in. I had experience doing web dev, uh, but not specifically for email. So at the beginning of the company, I spent a lot of late nights uh, getting cross-client compatibility to work. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and that was 
that was pretty painful. And then on top of that, we had to also push the limits of what was possible. For example, sending forms in email. So a popular thing that many of our customers use are polls. They'll send things like, "How did you like my, you know, how did you like my support?" You know, and then you can like answer a poll. That turned out to be very tricky to implement across yeah, different clients. I was going to say, holy shit. <laughs> you know, we had to spend time hacking email and coming up with crazy workarounds um, to figure that out. And we're still, you know, working on that. Fortunately, most of it's stable now, but we're mm-hmm. still, still like fine-tuning some of it. Can I ask you some potentially tough questions, but they come from a pure heart? Okay. I'm curious about how you approach the the tracking aspect of it. Um knowing that someone opened your email. Well, that's uh, the best feature. I think, so good. But from the receiving end, right? Like some might say, oh, I don't want anyone to know that I, I opened the email, like a red receipt kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, How do you think about that kind of stuff when you're, when you're building these tools? Isn't it like saying, I don't want people to know I visited this website? Like that's what tracking is for. Uh, isn't it not, not a little bit different with email? Like it's a, I guess a little it, bit more private. It, it's a little more private uh, communication platform. Like I'm in my inbox, right? Theoretically, but not really. Yeah. It's I still mean, a website. I think in my mind, all of us are getting tracked in some form or another. And from our point of view, folks who really don't want to be tracked, they know how to prevent that. I was going to say that. <laughs> uh, my old boss, yeah. Andy Bromberg, um, as soon as I sent him a Mixmax email, he's like, oh, so you have tracking turned on, huh? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he got it right away. He had it off. It was not a problem. So he's untrackable? I mean, I wouldn't say that. He just, he knew how to turn it off. Hmm. The world is what it is. Yeah. I think one interesting learning about privacy was I came in, you know, to to starting this company, having this assumption that people really, really want their emails to be private. Mm -hmm. And we are finding the opposite is true with professionals. So um, a lot of teams have been asking us, oh, I just want to share my email with everyone on my team. It doesn't, you know, I don't care about if people read the content, it actually helps me do my job better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have, you know, sales teams who just, they just want to know when somebody else is emailing a particular client because yep. uh, it helps them collaborate a lot better. So We've seen a lot of tools like that for like merged inboxes for teams and everything Correct. coming yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. So we're starting to explore that a little bit more and figure out how how does email work in the context of teams. It's an interesting time in the technology world where we have email apps coming out, email competitors like Slack, uh, perhaps or HipChat, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then uh, companies <laughs> Al- like Mixmax. Alternative just inboxes building inbox, on top yes. of building on top of giants, right? Yeah. Can when does Mixmax for Slack come out? We actually have a prototype. Yes. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> but can you talk to a little bit about your vision of like? Can that be called Slick Slacks? Six. Wait, slick Slacks. Slick Slick Slacks. I gotta say that six times, but I don't think I can. Six times. Six Slick Slacks. Slick Slacks. I don't know. It's a tumultuous time for communication tools in general. Like where it seems like everyone's trying to figure this out again. Yeah. Uh, is it ever um, not that? Right. Yeah, it was just trying to kind of disrupt everything again <laughs> in a cycle, right? Disrupt um, the disruption. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think with Slack and HipChat uh, and services like that, they're awesome tools when you use it, when you Slack. They're very much geared towards internal communication. Uh, our, our mission, that is correct. Yeah, our mission <laughs> is much more focused on external Marketing, communication. Sales. Um, yeah, it's just like, how do you talk to strangers? And we haven't really found a lot of great tools for that. And there's a lot of excitement in, in talking to strangers. You know what I just realized? The reason the question made more sense in my mind was because my only experience with Slack is with, uh, we have a Slack team that has 5,000 strangers in it. Oh, really? I've never used it for an internal team. Oh, so really? that's why in my mind, I was well, like... Keeping... We also have a private one for spec. Okay. So well, you've used that one. Right. Well, you know the point I'm making. So that's anyways... Got it. You That's why I was about thinking it. about it. I got the point. Just relying. <laughs> Calling me out. No slack. You're supposed to be a nice boy. No slack, man. Nailed it. Thanks. Okay. Let's back up a bit. You're from... Raised in Oakland. I was raised in Oakland. Uh, I was born in Thailand. Yep. Uh, so I was born in a refugee camp mm-hmm. uh, in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, right on 80, 1980. So, uh, Technically, yeah. the 80s. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it sounds cooler. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't really remember very much from it because I moved here when I was four. It seems just from 
following you around on the internet and reading uh, your interview on techies, that that seems to be something that continually comes up, but you don't remember much. Is that annoying <laughs> that people a, keep bringing it up? A little. I mean, I don't. I don't know if it's annoying. It's definitely difficult to talk about. Uh, you know, it's definitely to color that history right. a little bit uh, because I just don't have very much memory before four. Um, it's a very unique circumstance, but you also, yeah, not having a ton of that internal context, I guess. Yeah, and I think it's, it's really interesting because I think, you know, people hear about it and people are really fascinated. People are really interested and I think it's awesome but it's hard for me to to give them a great history. And then my, you know, my my parents never really talked uh very much about about that time. So I have to kind of fill in the blanks for sure. myself in a lot of ways. Okay. I mean, you'd think that wasn't their favorite time. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's pretty understandable and um it's you know, it's interesting cuz I uh you know, I grew, I grew up Mormon and uh genealogy is a huge thing in in the Mormon religion so knowing about your history knowing about your past uh so a lot you know i had peers you know who could trace you know their history really far back and could tell like all these different stories but yeah i couldn't really do that so yeah it's kind of a strange place to be in sometimes do you know why they ended up going to oakland and and you ended up in oakland I don't know, actually. Yeah, I think there were several different hubs that uh, many Cambodians uh, immigrated to. So there was the Bay Area, and there was the Boston, Massachusetts area. Okay. And I think there was another, I think there was Canada that had also taken in uh, some folks as well. Gotcha. And you ended up in Oakland. Yep. Uh, you grew up here. Yep. You never left. I you never are left. A Bay Area native, I am, a rare yeah. specimen. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm tied. <laughs> uh, oh, I see what you did there. Tie, tie. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. I let's see. Growing up in Oakland was, I think, it was pretty tough because you know we we were very poor, so there was a lot of uncertainty about our futures, and seeing other folks in the community. Uh, get trapped in you know cycles of you know, violence and drugs and poverty and uh, that was tough you know yeah Oakland in the eighties yeah in the interesting 80s, time yeah, yeah. and uh, and I grew up in in West Oakland um, which is super hipster now but it was definitely definitely not hipster when I was growing up uh, definitely like you know gunshots and and lots of violence um, so it's been it's, it's changed a lot. Could I make a safe assumption that you s stayed out of that world in some way? You you managed to avoid it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the I fact think, that you're sitting here now. Yeah, I definitely credit that with uh, my mom, who is very very education focused and very strict. I think she isolated us a lot from that, you know, that world. So when did you get into design? When did you like decide that tech was a thing that you wanted to do? Um, I was always really interested in in the creative arts, uh, as well as technology, um, pretty much in parallel. Uh, I think that that sort of coincided in high school when I took a journalism class and worked on the school newspaper. So during that time, uh, I got to learn page layout. We actually had to cut and paste the articles in, uh, learned about printing. So we had to set up photos for them to get printed. Paste ups? Paste ups. Nice. Yep. So, uh, yeah, glue stick and pasting it on uh, these like blue line grids. And I was just super into it. It just felt very re rewarding to put something, arrange it, and then have it printed in mass. Uh, it was very satisfying. And it was also, you know, cool to be writing articles as well. I've always. You know, I, I felt I feel like I've, you know, I love writing and, and editing. And, and so it's really fun to combine all of these different skills together in one place. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's how I got interested in design. You know, I, I graduated high school and only applied to one school, CCA. And because uh, I knew that was like the only thing I was interested in. Is that California College of Art? Yeah, of the arts. Yeah, just down the street from here. And you went. And I went. 
Yeah, I, interesting thing though, I was originally more interested in motion graphics, partly because I was working on the video yearbook in in high school and got really familiar with Adobe Premiere. Uh, so I, I I got I, I initially started, you know, wanting to go into that world of design, uh, and then just got much more interested in information and interaction design. Do you know when that transition happened or why? I probably credit that to a few classes that I started taking in college. Um, I had a teacher, uh, Terry Irwin, who taught our uh, type typography level two class. And, uh, you know, she was really into typography and, and information design. She's, um, she's actually chair of design at Carnegie Mellon now. And I was just really turned on by that. And then there were also a set of classes related to uh, web design and web programming that I also took. And this was, you know, this was like late 90s, early 2000s. So I'm dating myself there a little bit, but... Uh, that would also be a very interesting time to be in the Bay yeah, Area. Yeah, it was kind of, it was that, the, you know, the hot, the the height of the dot-com boom. And I knew, I was like, hmm, I think this web thing, I think it's going to be big. I think, I think it's going to be really exciting. I think it's going to be new. Uh, so I just gravitated towards that more. Was that the the professor that that switched it for you, or is there like one figure in your life that really uh, you look back and remember as the person that got you into design? Um, well, the person that got me into design was definitely my journalism teacher in high mm-hmm. school. She 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 had this book called the Non Designers Design mm-hmm. Book, and uh, <laughs> looking back on it, it's like the visual design is like horrible, but. Um, it's not yeah. for designers. So. Yeah, it's not for designers. <laughs> like the yeah, I think by our aesthetic standards, it's probably not not awesome. But I felt like the fundamentals of design were just solid. It's a, nice. a plus. It's like great for entry level uh, designers. Um, I'm surprised it should be taught in design schools actually, even though it's technically for non designers. Um, <laughs> for new designers. For new designers. It be. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I I don't know. It was just really awesome. This sounds so corny, but I. I'm curious about that time period, the Bay Area during the dot-com boom, your interest in technology and design, like what an amazing convergence of, of situations. Uh, what was that like for you? What influence did it have? I thought it was incredible um, because there were so many new things coming out. Flash. Uh, yes. <laughs> Everyone's favorite. That technological advancement <laughs> that was Flash. Yeah, it was. Uh, and, you know, pe- Flash gets... Uh, Gets a bad rap uh, as it as it should in some ways, but at the time, Flash was this amazing thing uh, where you could see things move. On it was the a screen. flash in the pan. Yep, yep. <laughs> and it was it was uh, it was incredible. Even back then, though, there were um, you know I had teachers who who definitely were like, oh, this is you know overdone and 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 you know we're we're not we're we're a little bit more pure. But I think there were technologies like that that was happening on the web that was just incredible you know in the 90s and in in high school i was creating websites that you know were just really cheesy static html Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. with you know animated gifs and and things like that and blink tags marquees blink tags uh all all that fun stuff the good old days is what we call the good old days (laughs) for sure (laughs) and then uh yeah and then all this stuff just started coming around you could you know you had applications on the web you could do things like check your email on the web you could order a pizza and and uh it was really cool there was definitely a lot of you know crazy stuff like uh, i remember cosmo.com which was the postmates of the day um where you could uh get a candy bar delivered to you in like 10 minutes wow um that was pretty cool um and now we're we're kind of back in that world again. <laughs> so everything repeats. Everything's a remix, yeah. right? Yeah. And I remember uh, when I was talking at Edwino last time, I, I, I mentioned uh, DigiSense, where you could go to a website and have a machine that emits the smell of it. And I was like, I'm sure yes. it's, I'm sure it's going to come back. <laughs> I literally saw like a Kickstarter project for it the other day, like for a oh god a, a, a product that emits scent based on like help uh, us all. Websites, so. Uh, it's, it's all uh, going to come Just back. what we need. Uh, from the VR perspective, maybe I can sort of buy yeah, into it, yeah. like put it in a room or something and uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and make it smell like the shitty version of whatever the thing is that you want it to smell like. Yes, yes. dude. Like yes. candles. Okay. You know? So you were at CCA mm-hmm, during mm-hmm. all of this. What did you do after you finished? 
So I worked at I worked in radio for a little bit actually. Nice. Um, well, that's a change. I, yeah. Well, I when I was in high school, I was part of this youth radio program. Um, they do a bunch of stuff for NPR. So you know, I learned a bunch of stuff about you know radio editing and things like that. So uh, I had an internship at a company called Move Design, um, and then the you know the dot com bust started happening. So I left and joined youth radio again as a teacher, basically teaching web skills. Uh, and doing a little bit of design work. Uh, so I was there for, I think, a couple years. And then after that, I joined Meta Design as an intern. Okay. What was that like? That was pretty cool. Um, I had been enamored with Meta Design for a long time yeah. because uh, the typography teacher that I mentioned before, she was one of the co-founders of the San Francisco office. So I had a lot of respect for them. And Eric Speakerman, of course, this was like, you know, godlike then and now. And <laughs> then and now and always. Yeah, always. <laughs> just just like God. <laughs> um, and it was uh, super exciting to be there. Uh, I did not realize how small I had gotten because the this was like, you know, the the dot-com boom crashed. And uh, when I started, I think there was 12, 15 people uh, at a height of about, uh, down from a height of about 100. How did you get an internship there? So uh, the AIGA uh, had a portfolio day and I just went and showed my portfolio to uh, one of the design managers there. But your portfolio at the time was one previous internship and then things you'd done in college? In, Do I have that yeah, right? in college, yeah. It was all it was all schoolwork pretty much. Crazy. Yeah. And uh, so he took me on, a, on an intern. Yeah, it was uh, quite a time. Uh, Twelve dollars an hour, so definitely not 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 current intern uh, <laughs> salary. Not a Bay Area yeah, salary. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, that was that was definitely tough, but uh, it was you know it was it was fun. I learned uh, an incredible amount there. Yeah. Uh, how long were you there? I think three and a half years. Three and a half yeah. years. What'd you it was take all o- that internship? No, it was. Uh, <laughs> I was yeah. gonna say. I was yeah. an intern for three and a half. Years. <laughs> it was intern, and then you know, and then full time designer. Got yeah. it. You got swindled if that's the <laughs> case. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> what did you take away from there? Three and a half years. What did I take away? Uh, definitely an appreciation of visual and information design. During that time, I I was purely for the, for the most for most of the time was a, a visual designer so designing icons designing websites um branding things like that the role visual designer is more rare now would you say would you is it more rare no visual designer no well i guess it's called communications designer now in some in a lot of places or like branding designer or, branding, or production yeah. designer or whatever like yeah. oh well, it goes by a bajillion names. names so yeah. the title has more if not necessarily the role yeah Got yeah it. you see them everywhere yeah okay I just don't hear many people called visual designers. Maybe that's just I my, guess the, my I bubble. Guess, you know, I guess the I, term, I guess the term visual designer might be a little bit more rare these days. I feel like it feels underhanded, undermining maybe. Like, oh, you can't do this other stuff. Yeah. Whereas production designer or, production, or yeah, branding yeah. designer, like those, those feel more extensive than just the visuals. Yeah. So, like, what were some of the things you were working on? One of the coolest things I worked on was a set of icons for Symantec. Uh, they they do like Nornanavirus and things like that. Ah, yeah. So yeah. I worked on an icon system for them. That was really fun um, because, you know, from a design point of view as well as a technical point of view, because we had to design for different bit depth, bit depths, which isn't like a huge problem these days. But back then it was sort of like, oh, well, how do you like translate this when you only have eight colors? <laughs> um, so. That was that was fun. Can I stop you there? I have no idea what that means. Um, well, so these days, you know, the colors that you see on your screen is is like millions and millions and millions of colors. Um, Do you know the difference between a PNG eight and a PNG twenty four? Do I know technically? No. Have I seen the difference somewhere in an interface? Yes. Okay, never mind. Mm. Teach me. <laughs> Teach me. Um. So, you know, back in the day, some monitors could only display 256 colors, right, as an example, um, versus the millions of colors that we have today. So um, we had to figure out how that gracefully degraded across different bit, bit depths. So just, not, just do single color line icons, man. Yep. Done. Yep. Problem that was solved. Pretty, that was, I mean, that's 
part partly that was the solution uh was at some point know, it has yeah. to lose a little bit of fidelity in the like fanciness you can put in exactly yeah. yeah it was it was basically you know black lines on a yellow circle and it got more and more dimensional as you she went up nice see. so that makes sense with um web safe colors and things like that exactly got yeah. it okay it has a lot to do with the amount of contrast you you have to deal with right yeah you'll have to yep. forgive i don't know some of these things so i have to learn about them bryn <laughs> uh cool so you did an icon system yep i uh, worked on some uh some small branding work for yahoo uh i did the pc world website for a while cool. uh so that was fun and that's all over the spectrum Everything. Yeah, yeah. I feel I, I I think that's kind of what I like is just working across a set of different you know mediums, different types of projects. Yeah. Um, so then you went to email, and then I, <laughs> and then I went to email. there. Yeah. And then I was just like, I'm just email. What happened? What happened? <laughs> um, you know, it's funny when I left Gmail, I was like, I'm never going to work on email again. <laughs> you know. Uh, one year later. Yeah, and then it's just ironic. Like, yeah, basically one year later. It's like I left Gmail to work on Gmail again. So hmm. I don't know. It's like this thing just keeps following me around. <laughs> so what happened after Meta? Uh, then I worked at a really awesome company called Dubberly Design Office with one of my mentors, Hugh Dubberly. And um, uh, I had heard him. He, he, he guest taught a class at CCA. And I was just like amazed at how smart and theoretical and knowledgeable he was about like it seemed like everything and uh, i had been wanting to work with him for a really really long time even when i was at meta and managed to get some collaboration between meta and Dubberly design office on on a couple projects uh with uh, i think it was samsung at the time um and so just built up a relationship over time and it was um you know it's a small office so there weren't very many openings and i i eventually found a window and i was just like I basically just annoyed him to death, I think. I was just like, okay, when can you hire me? You okay. made the window yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> and then um, and eventually it happened. I was there for like five years. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of the highlights of my design career. Why is that? I just learned a lot. Um, you know, it's, it's awesome being in a consulting agency in some, way, in some ways because you get to focus so much on design. You know, it's, it's like... It's a designer. It's like you get to be a just a designer, <laughs> and you get to talk about design philosophy and design theory, um, and it's in some ways is is really cool to be surrounded by other designers who are just so like enthusiastic about it. Yeah. Um, versus being in a startup where um, sometimes you might be the only designer, and you know you're working with you know a, a bunch of different other roles who you know who may not have the same affinity for design as you do. Now, obviously, you're back in that world, yeah, startup yeah, world. Yeah, um, which, I, which I love as well. Um, one, one of the reasons why I left W Design Office was because I was, I was very technical as well. So I was doing front-end dev there as well on some projects. And I really wanted to have the experience of working side-by-side -side with engineers. I remember interviewing at Google and, and you know, basic explicitly saying, I want to sit next to an engineer. And I got to do that. Uh, and I do that today. Um, and it's incredible because you get to make things happen. Mm -hmm. Part of the downside of working in consulting is um, oftentimes what you're designing never ships. So you get to do all of these cool, beautiful, thoughtful work that never see the light of day. Uh, and it, it can get a little demoralizing. I guess you could make the same argument for product companies, but probably much less often, right? Yeah, there's definitely, uh, you, know, I, you know, I have a giant folder of mocks of many cool things that have not been implemented yet. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it still happens. Yeah. Um, but I feel like I get to have a little bit more uh, uh, satisfaction nowadays. So after five years, you started getting an itch for something else and looking yep. around. Yep. Is this when Google came into the, yeah, the picture? Yeah, I was actually still, at the time I was incredibly happy at Doubly. Um, uh, a recruiter just emailed me out of the blue and I just decided to follow up on it. Do you know why? Why um, you decided that? Well, let's see. When I was at MetaZine, there was um, a recruiter from Apple had contacted me 
and we played you know phone tag for a little bit and then eventually i i just chickened out of it and probably because i was just like i have like an issue with social anxiety so i think i was just very scared of a new environment and also didn't have a lot of confidence in myself so when google you know emailed me this time around i was just like okay i just have to you know even though i'm really happy i should just follow up on this you know um and and i'm glad i did i haven't heard many people say anything quite like that like first of all being open about the fact that they had a social anxiety had social anxiety uh-huh. and then work to overcome it do you can you share a little bit more about like the social anxiety piece and how you've been dealing with that or what that even means for you yeah so um it's something that i think just uh it's really funny because i feel like as a kid i don't feel like i had a lot of social anxiety and then somehow over time it, it just got worse and worse um and really it's just you know there's there's a lot of things uh entailed in that so you know it's a, a fear of public speaking um a fear of uh parties uh social events uh, meeting new people um uh, presenting um so all of that just kind of like you know just accumulated <laughs> over right. time and um you know, it gets really tough because as a designer and as someone who's supposed to be an expert in communication, I would feel paralyzed in communicating in some of these situations. So that took a really, really long time to overcome. It wasn't until I, I joined Google and, and you know, basically went into like a 12-week program to uh, help resolve that. So you took a, a course for it, specifically for that? Yeah, I... Um, I, it was starting to interfere a lot with my work at, at Google. Um, and so I somehow, I don't know what happened, but I, somehow I found uh, this research project at Stanford. They were studying social anxiety and were comparing different modalities of treatment. Um, so I enrolled in that program. Crazy. Yeah. Can, can you share a little bit before? So when you were got this email from a recruiter at Google... Yeah. Do you, was there a specific thing that made you say, okay, social anxiety can piss off. I'm going to go for this, this one. Yeah. Um, hmm. I'm trying to think back. I think it was just like, I just put the challenge to myself hmm. because I had felt like I, I had such huge regrets of not following up with Apple previously. And uh, Google's pretty low stakes. So, <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is, I got the Google thing, and then I was like, hmm, let me email this recruiter from like three years ago, you know, or actually, I guess at that time, like five or six years ago. Uh-huh. And uh, and I, I emailed her from Apple. I was like, hey, like, can we talk? And she's like, oh, I totally remember you. Yeah. Let's like, why don't you just come down? Crazy. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, at the time, I was talking to both Google and Apple. Not to keep harping on this one particular moment, but I find it interesting when people say, I was, I'm very happy, I'm very content. But in some way, do you think that replying to that recruiter was an indication that maybe you weren't? That maybe something um, was off? I would say the thing that was, yeah, I think the thing that was off was a little bit about what I spoke about. was just, I had been on a few projects where um, I just wish it had moved a little bit quicker yeah uh, or that it shipped um and also just really i just really wanted to become a lot more technical as well like i was i was always really interested in programming and i and i felt i felt like it was a little bit harder to do that in in the consulting world interesting i feel very uncomfortable being like content that feels static to me so as soon as i get to that point i'm like oh i gotta change something like this is a problem mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you guys watch chef's table yes yes this reminds me so clearly. I just watched it the other night, uh, season one, episode three. The the crazy dude that like travels all around the world. He has like a really so young, so far. young wife with a kid. Uh, he's the South American one. Yeah, he lives yeah. in Patagonia. Patagonia. Yeah, yeah. And he has this uh, thing where his employees, as soon as they are doing their best work and are at their happiest, he lets them go. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was so <laughs> interesting. Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. My, so counterintuitive. But I think I buy that that logic, right? When when everything's happy and easy and you're doing great work, it's like maybe it's time to 
to get challenged because it i guess the the chef's metaphor is it can only go down right yeah if you're at that high point when i lived in the midwest that was like what everyone was searching for it was just a place to be content and then go home and do everything else other than work and then just go back and continue being content like that's that's a goal for a lot of people and that's a perfectly perfectly reasonable goal it's just not the way a lot of us work out here especially out here yeah, yeah. And lastly, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this, just in case anyone listening also has social anxiety. Can you just share a little bit about what you found and maybe advice for someone that might might yeah. be going through that? Um, so prior to the Stanford study, actually, I I tried a few things. Um, I was in you know I was in therapy for a little bit, and uh, I tried some medication as well, and they didn't seem to really work very well. Uh, so the program that I was in was studying cognitive behavioral therapy and comparing it to uh, mindfulness-based meditation. Both of those treatment types have been proven to be effective, um, but they had never studied you know, the difference between those two yet. Uh, so I got put into the cognitive behavioral uh, therapy track. And it's pretty, it was pretty awesome because you go through these things called, oh, they also did like these brain scans uh, during, during the whole thing as well. So that was kind of cool, but um, but basically the the methodology was centered around what they call exposures, where you reenact stressful social moments, and so every week we just like did that, you know, like going to a party or uh, talking to a stranger, uh, checking out at the grocery store, which is like really hard for me. <laughs> um, so things like that, and that just kind of desensitizes you. Is has that become? Uh like a standard kind of therapy that anyone could could go and sign up for at this point yeah yeah it is yeah it's pretty standard um there's now an app for that uh really <laughs> yeah i think it's called joyful i think cool um, our investor michael deering is actually an investor in this company as well hmm. um i think no it's called joyable joyable uh, yeah okay. and there's an app um, i haven't actually used it that's much more startup soundy yeah joyable <laughs> yeah not joyful joyable and uh and i believe it goes through exposures um, and, and, it's, and it's like self-guided. Um, so I haven't checked it out myself, but uh, it's really cool that you know, people are doing, uh, you know, trying to innovate in this space. There are people trying to solve real problems. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks for sharing. That's yeah, cool. no worries. Um, Disrupt your brain. Disrupt yeah, your brain. Right. Uh, so you landed at Google. I did. Did you choose Gmail or did Gmail seek out what you brought to the table? Choose um, you. You could have just said choose you. I know. I <laughs> was going to say it, but then I, I chickened out at the last I like minute. to say we chose each other. Aww. Um, it was um, the way that hiring works at Google, uh, at least at the time, was um, every week there's a set of hiring managers that review portfolios. And um, hiring managers basically, uh, they vouch for who they want to come in and interview. Um, and then often they participate in the panel as well or the, when you come to interview, the first interview is a panel of different uh, design managers usually. Um, I guess somebody had seen my portfolio and you know, just you know, wanted me to interview. And then after my interview, um, so after an interview, then the design manager's like, okay, who do I want on my team? So there were three uh, design managers that wanted me to join their team. So um, it was kind of, a, I think, an unusual interview situation because I wasn't quite sure uh you know i was just i was just like i don't know these people who do like how do i pick uh so i went back down for another, another day of interviews but i was interviewing the each of the design managers um and uh that time around so that was fun so why Gmail? um i think because i had just been really passionate about productivity uh and it seemed a really awesome opportunity um can you say what the other teams were yeah it was maps and Google.org. Um, I really, it was a really tough choice um, between all three of them, um, and I, you know, I really enjoyed speaking with uh, each of the, the the managers there. But I felt like Gmail just kind of was a little bit closer to my heart, and I don't, I'm not sure if I knew before I started that I'd be the second, like one of two designers. So. Uh, so that was kind of fun. <laughs> Who was the other designer? Uh, Jason Cornwell. So that's what blows my mind is 
two designers yeah. building this thing used by hundreds of millions of people. Yeah, yeah. What was that like? What, what was the... Uh... Um, it was really cool. I felt uh, like I could have a lot of impact. Yeah. Were you focused mainly on iOS? I was, yeah. So initially, well, initially the iOS client didn't exist at all. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, essentially my 20, 20% project. Uh, so I actually worked on the mobile web version of Gmail at first. That quickly kind of grew into you know, a giant project in itself. Um, there was, I, you know, I misspoke a little bit. There was a, there was a third designer on the Android client, um, but at that time, Android was a very, very separate organization. So we didn't have, like, they didn't even sit with us. Yeah, it was just me and Jason. Jason did uh, all the desktop stuff, and I ended up doing the mobile. Which sort of makes sense because Android is also designed differently and has it, yeah. has a much different structure and things like that. Yeah, even even today, which yeah. is crazy. Yeah, and it was kind of an interesting experience because the mobile team is all in uh, Waterloo in Canada. So, uh, you know, I commuted from San Francisco to Mountain View and then telecommuted to Canada. Crazy. So one of the the goals that you said when you went into Google was to work on technical skills as well. Did you have an opportunity to do that? Yeah, I did. I was one of the few designers who could commit code. But that felt good. It felt good. Yeah, it was really painful to set up because there wasn't a lot of, you know, it wasn't, Google's a place where you just have a ton of freedom and no one really holds your hand. It's like, you can do whatever you want in a lot of cases, but you just like fight for it. Mm -hmm. So trying to get an environment where I could uh, commit code to the Gmail code base, that that took some, that took some work, but it happened. (laughs) What did you do to convince people? Was it like... I'll just hand you code until you eventually just give me like Git access or whatever. Or? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it was just sort of like looking looking up how to set, uh, you know, the Gmail code base locally, um, and I think there had to be some like virtual machines and and a bunch of thing, and um, just kind of like kept kept drilling at it. Yeah, it felt really good to be able to you know, not have to tell an engineer, hey, can you move this like two pixels? Um, <laughs> I can do this. Yeah, I can do this. Although when I left, um, they're like, you should, f- yeah, you could feel free to file bugs again against us. Just don't tell us to move something one pixel. Cause I, I did do that many times. <laughs> I'm going to keep bugging you about line height until you get yeah. it right. Yeah. So um, yeah, that was, that was fun. <laughs> so I'm at a big company now and there's not really, um, Oh, I'm not sure the right term. He's working on F-mail. Uh, yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, there's not a whole lot of incentive or push on the design team to do something like that, to set up a local environment, to think about committing to and being a part of the actual development of a thing. Um, Is this, should enterprise designers code? No, I just want to know <laughs> a little bit. The <laughs> age-old I mean, debate. We can talk about it, but like, why was that so important to you and and what do you, what did you take away from being able to do that? It was a sort of source of satisfaction to be able to affect something um, without relying on others. Um, so, you know, I felt a lot more independent on it. I think it's also important to know that um, at the time, Google's design organization was still relatively small. And um, the focus on design um, was still pretty nascent. You know, now we have material design and um, there's a huge focus on design at, at Google. And, and at the time, um, you still had to work to get engineers to respect you as a designer. And so to me, one avenue of getting more credibility is to uh, behave more like an engineer. Um, so I think that brought a lot of credibility when I was able to like start committing code. You know, I started to see that the more successful designers at Google were able to do that. They're just very technically savvy. Um, Google's traditionally been a pretty engineering-heavy organization, yeah, so it kind of yeah. makes sense that that would be a highly valued skill set. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's awesome that it's you know so engineering uh, driven, and and now I feel like it's it's like a great marriage, you know, of of design and engineering. Yeah. How did you? What was your process like while you were in that? So you can commit code, but you're also tasked as a designer to to create the thing and solve the problems. How did you sort of balance the two or, or use them together? Um, so there were a couple couple things. I mean, a couple of times I, I built prototypes to yeah. um, demonstrate how something should behave. Uh, that was definitely crucial uh, for, you know, when there were harder things that I couldn't implement myself. 
I focused a lot mostly on just the CSS and HTML implementation. Yeah, so it was, you know, I probably sp spent like 20 to 30% of my time coding and then uh, the rest of the time. That's a really high building percentage. Building okay. Cool. Surprising. Awesome. So after that, you yeah. went on to Inkling? Yeah. Yeah. How, what was that process like, leaving Google, which seems like a really hard thing to do? It was really hard. Um, <laughs> yeah, another Yeah, it was another hard choice. Um, yeah, because it was sort of like, again, I was like so happy. Uh, it was an incredible place to be. You know, while I was working on, on Gmail, I really wanted to see more robustness in the emails themselves. I, you know... Worked on some early designs for uh, like stationary, for example, like creating beautiful emails by default, kind of thing. Um, and uh, you know, it wasn't really a, a high priority for you know a lot of totally valid reasons. Um, but I became really, really interested in helping people be more creative. And uh, a friend of mine uh, worked at Inkling and was and reached out and, and asked if I knew any designers who were looking. And so I sent him a bunch of other designers. <laughs> and, uh, and then like a couple of days later, I was like, hmm, maybe, uh, maybe I should uh, throw my, you know, throw name, my in. name in the hat, you know? And uh, went down and interviewed and I got to work on a project called Habitat, which is um, a document authoring system. And that was really cool. And the inkling you met the co-founders of Mixed exactly Max. yes right. that was another that was another motivation was uh, I knew I had some interest in, in starting a company um, and I know maybe it was irrational but I felt like oh at inkling I, I'll have opportunities to meet folks who might be interested in you know being entrepreneurs um, you know there's people like that at Google too so I don't I don't know what like why I thought it would be better <laughs> but it worked out yeah uh, when did you and the two others kind of decide that inkling wasn't the right thing and, and you had to go solve your own, or the problems in your own way. Yeah. Um, well, we had launched, we launched Habitat and I think we just had, you know, this idea that email could be a lot more powerful. The thing with inkling, it still became, it was still very much about internal communication. So the company pivot, the company originally started out in textbooks uh, and then pivoted towards corporate documentation. Um, which is a super hard problem, um, but it was still focused very much on internal communication, uh, and we just we just kept thinking, there's this you know, there's this outside world of strangers you know that like could be better served, um, so that was how we decided to leave. And that brings us full circle to Mixmax, yes, which we've yes. talked a little bit about. Yes. So now I'm looking at at you. You've been in agencies. You've worked at huge tech companies and startups. As you have like all these skills, how do you look at, at designers coming up now, the skills that are needed to to get into this sort of crazy world where you have to know all sorts of things? Yeah, um, I think it's a really hard time to be a young designer because the expectations are incredibly high. Um, right. There's a lot of competition now. Um, probably when we started, there were fewer designers and now that the world has caught on that this is... Uh, an awesome job to have. Now we have, uh, you know, twelve week programs to become, you know, to learn everything all you need. <laughs> to be a designer. God, I wish I could learn everything I needed to know in twelve <laughs> I know, weeks. I know. Probably twelve hundred. I wish I could learn anything like, valuable <laughs> right? yeah. in twelve weeks. Yeah, right? Right? I don't think that's how design works, personally. <laughs> yeah. But. Um. So I think uh, I guess my advice is um, seeking out mentors. Uh, so find the designer that you totally admire and like and get their guidance. More often than not, they'll be super open to it. I like to think that us designers can be a little bit selfish and we, we, wanna, we want to give like a legacy uh, to others. Um, and, uh, and Selfishly sharing. Yeah, selfishly sharing. Yep. And coding. <laughs> Egotistically <laughs> yeah. sharing. I'm de I definitely fall into the camp that designers should code. So. Okay. But is that selfish? Maybe that's selfish, yeah. Maybe because I uh I want to it. have it yeah. <laughs> aligned correctly. <laughs> yeah. I guess I I guess I should say like it it depends on the context. I think when you if you work at a larger company where roles can be more specialized, then you don't really need you know, you don't really need to learn how to code. But 
if you want to work uh, at smaller companies where you are potentially uh, you know, the only designer or one of two designers, it just helps a lot if you can implement your own stuff. And every single startup I've worked at has listed me as a front-end engineer instead of a designer on like the investor like decks and everything because they want to say they have more engineers. Yes, that <laughs> that is also true. Yeah. It's hugely valuable yeah. in startups. It's also, and like, you get paid more, so that's cool. That's true. Yeah. And I and it helps when, you know, when I write into uh, customers who complain and I'm like, I'm, you know, Champori co-founder and UI engineer. And then they're like, <laughs> oh, whoa. <laughs> so, yeah. I think it's really funny the way we like differentiate between developer and designer. And we mentioned this previously. It's like, those are very similar words. If you get down to like the definitions right, yeah. or engineer or whatever, like you're all trying to do the same thing. Yep differentiating which tools you use is a silly thing. Yep. I also find that I know I'm so guilty of this. Uh, we're tainted by our own experiences, right? Like what worked for us is tends to be advice that you might pass along. Yeah. Um, are there any, any things that you would say not to do like to, uh, to someone getting into this? Like what are, what are mm, wastes of time to generally avoid? Mm, well, you know, it's funny in college, the big debate wasn't about coding, but it was about drawing. <laughs> Uh, yes. It was like, should, should designers draw? <laughs> Did not someone draw? just tweet that this week and it oh, had right. this huge debate? <laughs> should designers draw? So that was like the, the back in the day, that was the thing. And, was uh, that Petty? Yeah. Uh, Hemian? Oh, oh Hemian. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe that's what came up to mind. Yeah. That must have showed up in my, my Facebook feed or something. And, Too funny. Uh, yeah, I would say probably tainted by my own experience because I'm not a very, f- I can draw, but not very fast. I can't do like, you know, I can't do like these beautiful sketches um, like some some designers do. But to me, I don't I don't see a lot of value in that skill as a product designer, it, unless you're designing like you know actual physical. It's hardware definitely products. something that fits into my process, though. Like it's not like it's not good drawing skill. It's like me kind of trying to process what's in my head and like recommunicate it to myself yeah. later. Yeah. It's almost like a task list. Like, don't forget this thing. Right. Yeah. There is a, there's like sort of like a skill related to drawing that's like, that's like rapid visualization, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to draw on a whiteboard. Like, here's like the concept that I'm trying to illustrate. I think that's totally important. I never thought of that as a skill. That's a really good point. And, uh, whiteboarding. Oh, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Whiteboarding. That's a skill. (laughs) There's like, there's huge, there's like big classes on that. And I, I should, if I had the time, I would take one because I'm pretty crappy at, at rapid views. The thing about whiteboarding is it's usually in front of an audience, right? Yeah. So you're telling a story as you're drawing or... Unless you have swipeys. Mocking up the... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, unless you have swipeys. Shout out swipeys. Uh, I have no idea what swipeys are, by the way. We'll give you swipeys on your way out. Okay. Swipeys, for anyone that doesn't know... It's not a bathroom thing. No, they're they're wet erase pieces of paper. So it's like your own private whiteboard, but it's wet erase. (gasps) What? Ah, they're amazing. But yeah, whiteboarding is in front of an audience. You're telling the story as you draw, and like, there's there's a timing to it. There's a rhythm to it, right? Whereas yep. if you're just drawing on your own, it's freeform however you want uh, when you have time as it makes sense to you. And I find that to be a really fascinating challenge because I can personally I can draw on the paper, but when I'm whiteboarding, I'm, I get time totally oh, thrown off yeah. by the time constraint. Yeah, mm-hmm. I could totally see that. Yeah, like this person has to understand the train of thought over time um have you ever designed on a projector oh no either of you like the old i haven't VCD. I, I, I worked I, in sketch on a projector like all the time what what, what do you mean yeah back at sidewire we had a, a projector set up in our conference room and we would like go through mocks and people would give feedback and i just start like designing based on their feedback and oh wow they loved it it oh, was amazing oh, like design, designing by committee kind of thing well it's just kind of like here's how I would implement your feedback based on like what you're like it wasn't like no move this thing two pixels it was like oh I think we need this support and like here's what kind of what that would look like here's cool. kind of my idea for that it was people absolutely loved it because it wasn't so much about exactly what you're doing with pixels but were you incorporating their feedback and could they see it happen in front of them I've always felt this pressure when that happens to get it right I imagine it's sort of like if you're doing a coding interview like watching, you want to get it right the first time when in fact coding is nothing about getting it right the first time. So that's right, what scares yeah. me about designing like that in front of other yeah. people. Well, I get it. I start with the big stuff yeah, and then I add the details later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. So to go back, you would say not drawing? 
I would say not drawing. Interesting. Um, I would say yes to like, you know, diagramming, visualization, uh, or rapid visualization. I'd definitely say yes to coding or at least becoming very, very familiar with, with coding. Um, what about the, the actually getting the mentor part? Uh, I think that is a little more nuanced than just like, I think you could expand on it more than just find someone more that nuanced. you want to be. Yeah. Right? Um, I should totally expand on that. Um, maybe I'll write a medium uh, <gasps> blog on it one day. Or on your blog network. I, I've written. Yeah. A, I've written a thing about mentorship. Um, I think you just. Uh, I think you have to be a stalker. Um, is it like a one to one thing? Is that is that what the relationships have been that have been most valuable to you? What do you mean by like one-to-one? a one to one, like mentor to mentee, one to one kind of yeah, thing? Okay, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Like, I think, um, like with um, you know, like with Hugh W. Um, hmm. I think I just reached out to him. I think I just sent him an email and asked him questions. After you'd stalked him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just like, um, and I've done this with, you know, I, I've done this with several um, professors, I think. And it might be because, uh, you know, I had, I couldn't, you know, I had this fear of like talking to them in person. So it was mm. just easier to, to send them an email oh, yeah, that'd be with pr- a question. So, with a social yeah. anxiety issue. <laughs> yeah. That would be, wow. Yeah. Ooh. So I just like, you know, I was like, I remember emailing um, someone who used to work at Method who taught a class that I took. And it was just around like some obscure typography question. And I would just like send him a note and ask him what his thoughts, you know, were on this typographic detail kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I guess, you know, I would use Mixmax to email, <laughs> see, <laughs> you know, these folks. Nice I really plot. like that example of asking like a specific question rather than a lot of people see it as like almost like asking a person out. Like, will you be my mentor? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not. It's definitely not like, yeah, it's definitely more like you just build a relationship over time. You, you know, you ask them questions. Um, you ask them to like, you know, review your portfolio if they have like 10 minutes or ask, you know, get feedback on a project or something like that. Um, and it just kind of happens over time. I found that sometimes uh, those points of contact can go from something like, hey, could you answer the super specific question? And like, it's not quite enough to build a relationship to, hey, could you answer 50 questions and review my portfolio and give me product feedback on like the startup idea I have? Like nobody has time. I know for that. nobody has time for that. Yeah, you have to like deliver things in, in bite-sized chunks, right? In a way, yeah. Like spaced out in a way, yeah, yeah. I think there's and also the, it's it's almost like an art, right? Like to to build that relationship with the right amount of information at a time. Yeah, there's, there's also a good way to be reciprocal to that, right? Like kind of helping them through that. Like I don't have time for that, but I'll answer two questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. look at your portfolio. Don't give me a startup idea. Yeah, thank you. I guess there's also this whole thing around just communities of designers, right? Like, you know, we're sort of all, all in very, you know, we have like, we probably have a ton, ton of mutual friends that we all know kind of thing. And so there's a way to like support each other as designers. And so um, there's probably something around uh, figuring out ways to to sort of enter that community mm-hmm. of folks. Um, it's not as yeah. insular as it looks. Yeah. I promise. <laughs> yeah, that's a, I think, I think, yeah, I would imagine that folks who are just starting out might have a lot of trepidation that there's like, oh, there's like these cool kids. Um, <laughs> Those Silicon you know, Valley hipsters. Yeah, you know, Brian's like the queen bee here. You know? <laughs> and, uh, queen bee Ryan. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, so, and, and I think to me, I feel like it's actually been a very, very open community. It's just like, you just have to, yes. you just have to talk to somebody or, you know, like tweet at them or like, you know, uh, yeah, or like, you know, there's there's always like events that happen all the time where like designers tend to congregate. So, uh, like, just show up and open yourself up. And if you have social anxieties, you know, get get some help. <laughs> first things first. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> Whoa. <sighs> we are over time. Okay. Thanks for coming well, and hanging out. Thanks for that was super fun. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, is there anything you want to plug before we go? Um. Yeah, just uh, Mixmax. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, sign up for Mixmax and check it out. Uh, it's, you know, it's free, so... Be Mixmax.com? Yeah, Mixmax.com. Be better uh, at emails. I'm working on, on revamping our, our marketing site. Uh, currently, it was, like, d- done in a day, so... <laughs> nice. Um, 
But uh, yeah, it's, it's super powerful. Um, if you want to know how others uh, react to your emails, uh, and if you want to send more effective emails. Uh, if you want to know if they opened your emails. Yes. We also, do, we also do click and download tracking as well. So Holy crap. It's like a lot of stuff. Everything. Yeah. Awesome. So email your questions to a mentor. <laughs> yeah. Check if they opened it. Give them yeah. a poll. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> See if they download yeah, your exactly. resume. Yep. Oh, wow. That's creepy. People, people actually use us um, yeah. a lot when they're job hunting. Because they can see when somebody like downloaded their their resume or viewed Ooh. their website. Nice, awesome. Thanks, Champoy. Yeah, thanks again. Thank you. That was episode 138. Thank you to Champoy for coming and hanging out with us, and also for giving Brian his new nickname, Queen B. I love it so much. We hope you enjoyed listening. If you did, let us know what you think on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. Hit us up in our Slack team, Spec.fm/slash/slack. And of course, before we go. Thank you once again to Dropbox for making this episode possible. Dropbox is building tools that people use every single day and they're working on hard problems with really smart people and they need more people. You should be one of those people. Go work with them. They're hiring product designers and design managers from all around the world to come join them. To learn more, go to spec.fm slash Dropbox. That'll send you their job description page where you can learn more. And of course, apply. Tell them we sent you. And thank you so much to Dropbox for making this episode possible. We'll see you on Wednesday with Josh Austin.